0: All right, listen up, because I've got something that I need to tell you. I've got your attention now, don't I? Uh, Which is exactly the point. Your brain has been trained to pay attention when someone, especially is on stage, makes such a sudden and strong announcement. Uh, I could have said, uh, can I have your attention, please? Uh, I have an announcement for us, and received the same response. If someone in your life comes to you and says, we need to talk, you know that something good probably is not going to come from that, but you know that they have your attention. Uh, Back in the day, a newspaper salesman might jump on some sort of soapbox and say, uh, you know, hear ye, hear ye, or, or read all about it. Nowadays, you might be watching television and suddenly a graphic will come onto the, the screen saying that we, we interrupt this regular scheduled program to bring you this breaking news. This happened to me on Friday, by the way. I was watching The Price is Right, and it was the showcase showdown. It was at the very end of it. And CBS had to break in because of someone testifying on this Potter trial that was going on. I'm like, can they not wait two minutes to see who wins the showcase showdown Uh, in the last few years many of you may have uh, occasionally received uh, a loud tone on your phone because there's an amber alert that was issued for some child uh, nearby in the cities or or around east central minnesota Uh, i get warning tones quite frequently especially during the summer when there's severe weather and uh, i'll look on that and see wherever i'm at the the weather warning that is coming uh, when I was a kid, I used to be paralyzed in fear whenever those emergency broadcast tones uh, would test on the screen because those, those, uh, those sounds would just send uh, uh, shivers down my spine. Uh, but it's effective in waking the senses of even the most dead-eyed couch potato uh, watching the television. Well, around 2,000 years ago, uh, there was a public service announcement that broke into the regularly scheduled programming of the day for a group of shepherds who were out watching their their flocks by night. Uh, they were the only ones that were targeted in this message, but the manner in which this message got to them was far more startling far uh, far more uh, far more uh, uh, getting the senses together than someone breaking into the television. Uh, This morning, we are focusing on the the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Uh, It's a musical commentary on Luke chapter 2 and and other verses. Uh, However, one of the biggest misconceptions of how this angel made his announcement was how he got his attention. They did not show up and say, Hark! Hark! which would have been a typical uh, announcement uh, way back then, but uh, Hark is not even in the biblical text. The reality of the announcement would have been far more terrifying than the emergency broadcast system. Imagine with me, you're a shepherd. You're out on the uh, night watch, which is typically boring. Uh, occasionally, there's a wolf that might show up, and, and yeah, you got you gotta deal with that when uh, when that comes. But uh, for the most part, all you do is look out into the distance and listen. And unlike uh, today, you can, uh, where we can see city lights from miles away, at this time, there, there weren't any city lights. Bethlehem was too small. They didn't have electricity back then. So uh, it was very, very dark. And verse 9 of Luke chapter 2 says that an angel of the lord stood before them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified now can you imagine you're in the monotony of something that you have done night after night after night after night for years it is pitch black you can't even really see your hand in front of your face and then all of a sudden An overwhelming brightness comes at you like that. And a terrifying figure comes to you. Now, throughout the Bible, whenever someone encounters an angel, it is not something that is exciting. It is terrifying. We're not talking about a a fat baby with wings and a harp showing up and saying, hey, guess what? There's a baby that's been born. This is a terrifying angelic warrior. And when this angel shows up, he's not giving an amber alert. He's not sounding uh, the national alarm for some national crisis. He is giving an emancipation proclamation and a treaty A baby has been born a few miles up the road, one who has promised to release us from our sins and has uh, offered friendship with God. And so throughout uh, his song, Charles Wesley instructs us to hear and receive the good news, the gospel, to understand the news, and then praise God for this great news. Those are the three things that we're going to briefly look at today. The first is, is that we need to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus. I was walking down the courtyard one day uh, of Minnesota State University Mankato where I got my undergrad and and I noticed that this this fairly large group that was surrounding this guy standing on a concrete uh, pillar and for a college guy, hey, you know, a big crowd, someone standing up there and people are yelling and there's loud voices and all this sort of stuff, it gets a college kid's attention. But it was a passive attention That's all I wanted to do was see what was going on until one of the guys looks at me specifically and says, you, you're going to hell. I was just here to find out what was happening. And now he's pointing at me and saying this. He got my attention. Now, before um, I go on with what he told me, a little context is involved here. See, I was a product of the late 90s, early 2000s, and so uh, when he, uh, you know, pointed out at me, I probably had one of those rope uh, choke necklaces with the beads. And I had one of those uh, big, you know, metal beaded necklaces along with it. And I had longer hair that was parted down the middle. And I had five piercings in my ears. Okay? And so uh, he looks at me and tells me that I was going to hell because I had earrings. And that I was somehow gender bending. Now I was a very baby believer in the faith and that was not the message that I needed to hear. The message that I needed was the message that I still need today and the message that I needed was the message that you've needed your entire life and the message that you need even today. The message that we need is the message that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem to redeem us from our sins and from the curse of our sins. Glory to the newborn king, Wesley writes. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Now in Luke chapter 2, this is what, uh, what Luke records is happening. He says that the angel said, Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for, for you. Who is the messiah the lord this will be a sign for you when you find a baby wrapped and tight uh, tightly in cloth and lying on a manger suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with this angel praising god and saying glory to god in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people that he favors so instead of a man standing on some sort of concrete platform shouting messages of judgment the message that very night was that Jesus was born, that angels had announced uh, armistice is available between us and God. The rift that was between God and man had now been bridged and not only bridged, but also uh, mended and healed. This is an act of sovereign grace. God did not have to do this, but because of his great love for his people, he sent Jesus to take on flesh. It was something that he initiated and we are beneficiaries of it. The guilt that we feel from our past, the shame that we might feel from that which was done to us uh, in our past, the the, the thoughts that we knew that we we shouldn't have, those words that we wish that we could take back so long ago can be redeemed. Our lives can be made new. We can have freedom from the tyranny of those things. And that's what we call the gospel. The gospel isn't a baby in a manger. The gospel is the good news of what this baby would would do and become. That he was fully God and he was fully man. That in his earthly life, he never sinned once. And that's good news because there isn't a moment that goes by in which we don't sin. By faith in him, his perfect record is given to us. We can have peace with God because when we trust in Christ, the Father's displeasure is no longer on us because we are robed in Christ's righteousness. Furthermore, Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. Though he was totally sinless, He suffered and died as a criminal in one of the most brutal ways to be executed. In fact, his enemies even thought that they were doing God a favor by getting rid of this guy. But it was God's plan the entire time. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. And through faith in him, the work that he did on the cross is attributed to him. His goodness given to us, our sin given to him. And three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he had power over the sin and over death. And through faith one day, we will still live. We'll experience a resurrection like his in the day to come when sin and sadness and and pain and hurt are no more. Friends, this is the gospel. And at Christmas, God gave us this this gospel in, in the present of Jesus Christ. Christmas is not meant to make us sentimental, even though that's good. It's meant to drive us to Jesus and trust in him. So hear the gospel and receive the gospel and find life. But second of all, we also need to understand the gospel of Jesus. How is it that Jesus is who he is? You know, Spaceballs is a parody of the Star Wars Enterprise. Every single character in some way on Spaceballs reflects a character that was in the Star Wars franchise. In place of Darth Vader, there's Dark Helmet in place of c3po there's dot matrix do i have a picture up there of those guys up there yeah instead of han solo there's lone star instead of Jabba the hut this is great it's pizza the hut and his tagline is pizza's gonna send out for you i mean it's it's just great and perhaps one of my favorite characters in that movie is this guy named barf (laughs) he's played by john candy and uh he, uh, he describes himself as a mog. And when he's going to save the princess and Dot Matrix, they look at him and say, what are you? And he says, well, I'm a mog. I'm a half man, half dog. Well, I'm my own best friend. It is just one of the best characters uh, out there. He's sort of, and, and, and when we think about uh, uh, a mog, it, it, it's somehow like the way that we often think about Jesus that he's just part man and part God, and together they make up who he is. But we would be mistaken to liken him to a guy like Barf, because it's not as if he's 100% man and 100% God, and somehow you can add 100% to 100%, and all of a sudden you have have 200% of someone, because we are fully One or two things here. In fact, the two natures working together aren't even mathematically logical. So theologians will use the term that he was fully God and fully man. Or even better, the term to use would be that he was truly God and truly man. And how all this works out is somewhat of a mystery, but Wesley points to it in the second verse of our carol this morning when he says, "'Mild he lays his glory by.'" And this is uh, taken right out of Philippians chapter 2, and I realize that I'm jumping verses here, but this particular line uh, comes uh, at the end of the song, but it fits better in in the sermon for the point that we're at now, and so that's where we're going to go. And Philippians 2 gives us a glimpse of what it means that Jesus, uh, mild he lays his glory by. So in Philippians chapter 2, this is what Paul writes. He says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, theological truth that we could talk about for the next two, three, four hours just in those few verses alone. So we need to take just the Cliff Notes version. In verse five, Paul highlights the deity of Christ by looking at his pre-incarnate being when it says that he existed in the form of God. And we need to be careful when we think about this word uh, form in the English, because it's very easy to be, uh, to misunderstand when we think of form we think of the shape of something, of something physically looks. This here is in the, the form of a microphone. These here are in the form of, of candles here before me. Uh, but since John four twenty four tells us that God is spirit, uh, hence he has no body, then understanding the form of God doesn't really fit the bill here. So then we go to the Greek, which can be equally unhelpful because the word in Greek is morphe, which we think of the term as like morph into something. And when you think about the like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, if you remember those from back in the day, they would change into something that, that uh, they weren't before. And here we're not talking about a metamorphosis. We're not talking about Jesus necessarily changing what he was we're saying that he is adding something. And so this word morphe, this form in the Greek, points to the essence of something. What is the nature of its being? So when Paul writes that Jesus existed in the form of God, he was making the claim that the pre-existent, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ was fully God. He had all the properties, and he had all the characteristics of divine nature. However, when Christ was conceived and took on flesh, he did something remarkable. Instead of coming to earth and strutting his stuff, Paul tells us this. He says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, which means that when he took on flesh— he made the conscious decision to put aside some of his divine attributes. It didn't mean he still didn't possess those in his very being. He just chose not to take advantage of them. Now, think about in Matthew chapter uh, uh, four when Jesus goes and is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and Satan says to him, "Oh, if you're if you're really that hungry, you see that stone over there, and if you're really the Son of God, why don't you make that stone into?" a loaf of bread. Could Jesus have done that? Absolutely he could have. But did he? No. He chose to lay that side of glory aside for the time being when he was on the cross and he was being derided by his enemies saying, yeah, you know what? If you are the son of God, then why don't you help yourself? Why don't you come down from that cross and then everything is fine? Could Jesus have done that? absolutely he could have. He could have called down a whole legion of angels to come and fight on his behalf, but he chose not to. Instead, he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. But instead, on verse 7, it says that he emptied himself, assuming the form, there's that word again, the very nature of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. Now, this is where it gets really crazy. Jesus here defies the laws of mathematics. In taking on human flesh, he adds by subtraction. Well, What do I mean? I mean, uh, consider the fact that Jesus was truly God. Uh, he, he was the very one whom God the Father created all things through. The scripture tells us in Colossians that all things are held together by jesus so we have this eternal god uh, from eternity past who now has put on flesh added a new nature but it's not like this is an improvement this isn't something that uh was uh was an improving factor in him rather he took on the form of something lesser a human and and a a servant let alone now, when I thought about this, I thought about a book that I had read uh, to my kids and as a kid before. I, I thought of the book called Harry the Dirty Dog. And if some of you remember the Harry the Dirty Dog books, they're fantastic. Harry by the Beach is probably, uh, probably my favorite out of the, out of the, the whole thing. But here's this dog named Harry. He is a dog that hates baths. And so one day they want to give Harry a bath. What does he do? He steals the scrubbing brush and he goes outside and he buries the scrubbing brush in the ground. And then he runs away and goes have some you know exhilarating day around the town, visiting construction sites and visiting all these other places. And he ends up getting super dirty. And he comes home, finds that, the, that his family is really missing him and is really sad. And then they see this dog come through and this couldn't possibly be Harry because he's the total different color of Harry. Well, Harry gets sort of sad because his family doesn't recognize him. So what does he do? He goes out and he digs up that scrubbing brush and he brings it right up to the tub, hops in the bath, they give him a bath, and hey, guess what? It's been Harry the entire time. His family was worried sick about him, but they didn't recognize him. Much in the same way, Jesus has left his throne in heaven to take on the form of, of a human. And a human servant as that and was unrecognizable was he still truly god yes was a human body and a human nature added to him yes absolutely and this is what makes the gospel truly truly breathtaking that jesus who lived for us died for us who rose for us and who ascended for us was not just some human and in, in superhuman figure. He wasn't a hyper-enlightened individual who got lucky with some miracles and developed maybe some interesting philosophies. This was truly God in the flesh. This was truly God and truly man. And this has massive implications for our lives. When we struggle, man, we can go to the... We can go to the one who knows what it's like because he's been through it before. When we're sad, when we're lonely, when we're anxious, when we're, when we're depressed, when we're joyful, when, when we're feeling the whole gamut of human emotions and experiences. Jesus in his human nature knows what that's like. And he can comfort us. But not only that, but this is a God who can work wonders when we're tempted to engage in sin or do something that we know we shouldn't. This is the one who has not only been tempted like we are, but also who holds the power to give us self-control. This is the benefits of the gospel, and we need to understand it. And third and finally, we need to praise God for it. We need to praise God for it. In the second verse of Wesley's Christmas Carol, Gives us a glimpse of that glory of, of God uh, being uh, in the likeness of humanity among us. It says, uh, Christ the highest, by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. So again, Wesley here ca- uh, capitalizes uh, on the the fact that Jesus is the object of heaven's praise. There's no struggle in heaven right now about who Jesus said he was. He is the everlasting Lord, which means that he is sovereign over all things and that he always will be. However, John wrote of how he and the other disciples had the privilege of seeing him face to face. In John chapter 1, he wrote this, He said, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory. They they saw it. They were there as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, many have tried to deny that Jesus has even existed as a person, but to do so would Go, you'd have to rewrite the entire history books. The argument that Jesus was never a person really falls flat on historical grounds. Further, Wesley writes that he was veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Again, it's the, the juxtaposition of the two natures of Jesus. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man, or you could say pleased as a man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning that God with us. And if you haven't felt the call yet to worship this Lord and Savior, maybe this final verse will. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Stew on that line for a while born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth." Man, I wish that we could unpack all of those lines here today, but there's just not time for it. Uh, But I'll leave you with this. Wesley wrote this song in response to the glory of Jesus at Christmas. Not just the glory of a baby but the glory of the story of what he would become and what he would do for us on our behalf. The truth of Jesus leads us in one of two directions. It either leads us to reject Jesus as foolhardy, or it leads us to truly worship him as he is. The one who lived and the one who died and who rose again, the God-man who came to redeem us, from the curse of our sins. And it forces you to answer the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Are you going to go about your day after this as if none of this matters? Or are you gonna give your life completely to receiving him and worshiping him and him alone? Let's pray.